my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Financial Heresy, where we talk about how money works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. Let's start off this year by kicking off a new habit of reading. Many of you know how much I read, how much I enjoy reading. One of the reasons for this is because uh, when you uh, when you are trying to find answers for something and you go down one path and reach a dead end and then you go down another path and reach a dead end, uh, reading is one of the only uh, avenues that you never reach a dead end on. So when I began my journey to learn about how money works, uh, I ran into a dead end pretty quickly when that when the first road I took was talking to people I knew uh, who knew anything about money. Um, 
Now, everybody has somebody that they know that's a little bit better than them at money or somebody they know who is the best person with money that they know. Um, But to be honest, most Americans and most people in the world, to be frank, uh, are really bad with money. They don't know how money works. They don't know how to invest. They don't know good debt from bad debt. They don't know uh, anything about budgeting. They don't know anything about uh, creating wealth long term, how the how the economy works. And so uh, because most people are in that boat, when you look at most people's networks, then the network is the same thing. And so if you restrict yourself to just your network of the people that you know, and you go ask, you, you, you make a list of every single person in the world that you know, um, you're, you're, you're going to have a couple at the top of that list. If you rank them by who's the best with money, but for most people, the top of that list is not going to be somebody who is very wealthy. And so if you restrict yourself to your network, you're going to run out to the end of that road and you're going to realize that that's not going to get you where you want to be. So then uh, for me, the the next road that I went down was uh, a job. So I decided, you know, when I realized, hey, I don't know anybody who can get me to where I uh, I want to be, I'm going to go get a job in that industry so that uh, people, professionals in that industry, I can learn from, make friends with and uh, learn a lot more and be able to get where I want to go. Well, that road ran out after a couple years as well. And so then I discovered reading and basically uh, the reason reason why I like books so much. I mean, I love learning from any avenue whatsoever. Um, The reason why books are so powerful is because every book, it it takes, it takes a lot to write a book. It doesn't take a lot uh, to make a podcast episode. It doesn't take a lot to make a YouTube video, to write a tweet, uh, to to even write a blog post. Um, It takes some amount of effort and some amount of expertise and some amount of knowledge for sure. However, nothing like writing a book. Writing a book takes an immense amount of effort, an immense amount of knowledge, and then an immense amount of skill to be able to distill all those years of experience and wisdom and knowledge and whatever is being researched or talked about in the book down into a readable format, especially when you're looking at a book that is recommended by somebody respected, somebody who is smart, somebody who is in the field. That way you have some sort of a filter that, you know, Today, many people can write a book and self-publish it, uh, but for the most part, for a book to be recommended as a good book, it has to pass through so many filters for the author to have gone through so many years of experience of living through something, doing something, researching something, and then distill it and condense it, especially if they got a publisher to publish the book. It is just almost impossible uh, to replicate that uh, experience from a book in other forms of learning in other mediums through like, you know, things like podcasts and um, uh, uh, videos and blog posts and things like that. Uh, And so when you read a book, it's almost as if you're choosing a very short term mentor um, for a very specific thing, uh, whether it's about, uh, you know, budgeting or investing or economics or history or whatever it is, you're, you're getting a mentor distilling their, you know, let's say 10 years of their life or or uh, or more, and you're downloading all of that wisdom into yourself over the course of about eight hours. Eight hours is like the average amount of time that it takes to uh, to uh, read a book. Um, And 
So it's an incredibly powerful way to accumulate a lot of knowledge very quickly. Um, the second reason I like reading is, is because if you do it the right way, then you are able to accumulate enough knowledge so quickly that you can start to identify signal from noise. Um, so signal and noise, if you're not familiar with the term, it's basically like, uh, when you, when you hear something, you're in, let's say you're in a loud room, um, and there's, there's lots of noise going on. Cause there's lots of chatter, lots of people, lots of people talking. Um, and you're trying to, uh, uh you're trying to identify the, the sound of your partner who is like, you know, whistling for you. Cause you're trying to find them. Um, when, when there's a lot of noise, it can be hard to hear the whistle, which would be the signal that you're looking for. And so. Uh, the more uh, the more you can have the skill to be able to identify what is noise, you can eliminate the noise and then focus on just the signal, which would in this case be the whistle. And so the more knowledge you can accumulate, which when you read a book, it's a lot condensed. It's, you know, 10 years, let's say condensed into eight hours. And so you get to download all of this information, all this wisdom, all this experience in such a short amount of time that if you repeat that consistently over a long period of time, then what you're able to do is identify identify what is signal and what is noise because of pattern recognition. And so when you start to read, let's say books about, you know, real estate investing, for example, the first book you read on this is probably going to be the very first uh, um, example of real correct information and experience that you've ever encountered in your life. Uh, lots of people know someone who has invested in, you know, one rental property. Very few people know somebody who has invested in more than a dozen rental properties. Uh, even fewer in, you know, over a hundred. And so when you have the ability to read, let's say your first real estate investing book, you're going to be flooded with a ton of information that will sound all correct because it's like, Hey, this is the most experienced person in this topic that I've ever uh, had the ability to encounter. And so everything they're saying is new. And so it seems like it's all signal. Well, when you read a dozen real estate investing books, then you'll see, okay, these 12 different people, there are, you know, let's say five or six things that all of them say that, that is consistent. Some of them invest in, you know, single family homes, some of them in multifamily, some of them in commercial, uh, but across all these variables, there is consistency across these investors in these five or six areas. That would be an example of signal. Uh, an example of noise would be, let's say, the type of, of real estate that they're investing in. So noise would be something that doesn't matter that you can ignore or that you can choose your preference on. And then signal the things you have to learn and pay attention to are the things that are you know real that you have to focus on. Um, one example of this uh, is I've read, you know, uh, tons of books on uh, 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 successful traders and investors. And um, uh, one of the uh, one of the things that popped up as signal that I, I didn't notice until probably, I don't know, 10 books in on this topic. One of the things that's consistent is risk management. Uh, every single investor, uh, successful investor and successful trader throughout all of human history, the one thing that is there, all of them 
Their number one rule is don't lose money. Whether you're talking about Warren Buffett or George Soros or uh, any successful investors, traders, um, the number one rule, uh, Ray Dalio, anybody, don't lose money. Manage your risk. Prevent yourself from taking large drawdowns. Manage that downside risk. If you can take care of the losses, the profits will take care of you. And so it's every every single one of them has their own way of saying it. but. When you see it enough, then pattern recognition suddenly sets in and you recognize, oh, this is the one thing that's consistent. There are a million ways to make money out there and there's one way to lose money. And so if you, which is losing money, which is taking losses. And so if you stop yourself from those losses, then you take care of the biggest problem there is. And most of these people discovered this through massive losses themselves. Um, and so uh, they learn through personal experience. And so if you can learn those things from others, then you get to shortcut that yourself. I can tell you from personal experience, losing 90% of your net worth on a single trade is not a fun experience to go through. And it takes a while to recover from that, both financially and mentally. And so that is not something you want to go through if you can avoid it. And so being able to download the mistakes and experience and wisdom from others is something that is highly beneficial to shortcutting your way to financial success. So that is the groundwork on why I'm such a huge fan of reading. And that is why I read one to two books per week. Um, for, I've been doing that for uh, a couple of years now. And so this is something uh, it's very possible to read 100 books a year. Do the math. 100 books a year is uh, uh, is two books per week. There's 52 weeks in the year. So let's say you go on vacation one week and you get sick another week. So you've got you've got every single week you read two books in the year with a little bit of room for error. You hit 100 books. Um, the average American doesn't even read 12 books a year. The average American every January 1st, New Year's resolution, get in shape. And then by January 3rd, let me tell you this. Yesterday uh, on January 2nd was in the gym. Obviously, it was the delayed, you know, the holiday because the first landed on the weekend. Uh, it was so packed, I couldn't even find a parking spot. I was waiting in line for machines to use. I was walking around modifying my workout because there were so many people in there. I could not do what I needed to do, what I've been doing every single Monday for the past, you know, year and a half. Today, Tuesday, January 3rd, the very next day, the gym was emptier than I've seen it in a year and a half. I had carte blanche. I could walk around, do anything I wanted. I, there's nobody waiting for the machines. It was just, there were, it was so empty. It was ridiculous. One day after the new year or two days, I guess after the new year, all those people had already given up on their new year's resolution to get in shape. Another new year's resolution that many people make is reading more. So they say, I'm going to read a book every single month this year. And then by January, when they haven't finished that first book, they put down that goal and they still don't read. And so most Americans do not read. And that's why, to be honest, most people stay stuck in the same routines because they're not giving themselves mentors and coaches in all these different areas that they know they need to improve on. And so they keep on repeating the same actions because they give, don't give themselves the knowledge to know any better, to know what the correct actions are. And so the same actions happen, which means the same results happen. The same actions give you the same results. And so if you want different results, you have to do different actions. And the only way to know if those actions are going to be the correct actions is to study the people who have taken those actions before and see if they uh, provide better results. And so that's why I'm such a huge fan of reading. And so if you can read hundred bucks a year, you're going to be light years ahead of literally everybody that you know. Um, even within just one year, you're going to be light years ahead of everybody you know. In one year, you can read more books than most people you know have read in their entire life. So 
How a hundred, how, how, how is that going to break down? So two a week, that still seems like a lot, right? Well, the average book is about eight hours long in terms of how long it takes you to read that book. So you need three things here. The first thing you need is an audiobook. You can get these for free. There's apps that allow you to connect your library membership to them. You, uh, then you can rent books through the library, but they're eBooks. And so they go on to your app. Uh, they're audible books, uh, audio books. Uh, they go onto your app whenever they're available. Every library has, you know, let's say one or two copies electronic copies of a book. And so you create a wait list for yourself. And when a book comes up, it downloads to your device and then you listen to it or you can you can purchase them through uh, Amazon or um, Audible or uh, Apple Books as well. Uh, any other uh, book reader. So you need an audiobook because this is where you get found time. Anytime you're driving somewhere, you're driving to work on your commute, you are, uh, you know, taking a shower, you're doing things, you're doing the dishes, you're doing laundry, you're mowing the lawn, you're doing things that don't require any mental uh, focus, but just take time. That's where you throw your headphones in and you listen to a book. Usually the off, uh, the, uh, the narrator of these books, they read, uh, pretty slowly. Um, and so usually within just, you know, a very short amount of time, you know, a couple of days of getting used to listening to audiobooks, you can listen to them on two X or three X speed with zero loss in comprehension. And many times even a gain in comprehension, because the speed at which a person can talk is much slower than the speed at which a person can comprehend thoughts. And so by speeding up the rate at which it is played back, you actually maintain focus better because your mind stops wandering off every time you've already, you already know how they're going to end the sentence. And so your mind starts thinking about something else. So two, two X to three X speed can be a game changer for you, but even not, let's say you just are on one or one and a half times speed. And you're just listening during that found time, that time where you were doing things that didn't require any mental focus. No, so that's number one. You need an audiobook. Number two, you need a physical book, uh, a physical book that you can, you know, read at night instead of watching TV. The average American between, well, okay, so this is a couple years old when people still, you know, watched TV. Now people spend that time watching YouTube videos and TikTok and Instagram and social media, movies, Netflix, things like that. Between media that's considered entertainment and not learning, the average American spends uh, an hour and a half to two and a half hours every single day consuming entertainment style media, not learning, just entertainment. So right there alone, if you replace that with reading, you're already at 100 books a year. Um, but if you uh, for just, let's say, you know, even a short amount of time from that, you know, a couple of days a week at night before going to bed, you read your physical book with a light so that it's not your phone light that's, uh, you know, causing you to lose sleep, things like that. So you need a physical book you can take around with you and you can read, you know, when you're uh, in a place where you can focus on a physical book. These would be the books that uh, you might want to underline things that with if they have equations or if they have math or if they have lines that you want to be able to easily read over or something like that. And then the third thing you need is a Kindle style book, like an ebook that you can read with an app on your phone. Um, and this is for uh, when you're going around little not found time where it's like, hey, I'm doing something here that doesn't require mental focus, but little breaks here and there where you would normally be scrolling through social media, where it's like only a couple of minutes at a time where 
you're uh, waiting for somebody to uh, to meet you at the restaurant or you are, you know, standing up on the subway for a couple of minutes or uh, you're in an Uber for five minutes. Things where normally you just be wasting, you know, idle time and just scrolling through. You don't have a big dedicated chunk of time to devote to something. Instead, you pull up your app on your phone, your uh, whether it's Kindle or Apple Books or whatever e-reader you have. Again, the library app, you can do this as well. I think one of them is called Libby and you just start reading. These apps even allow you to underline or highlight, make notes, things like that. And so you have three books going at all times so that in all these little areas, you can fill in reading um, that way. No, when you when you master this habit, that means that all of your wasted time now just got transformed into time that's not even neutral now because you were wasting it. So instead of just elevating that time to neutral time where it's not being wasted, you're elevating that time even further to accelerating your learning and giving yourself more skills, broadening your horizons. And within a year of doing this, you'll be able to hit 100 books in a year. No problem. I race my wife every single year. Uh, we're resetting the the, the clock again this year. Uh, she beats me by at least 50%. Last year, I think she hit like 185 books or something like that crazy. And so it is very possible to read a lot of books if you uh, put put all of your wasted time and found time into reading instead. And so you need those three ways to do it. Cause if you focus on just physical books, you won't be able to fill up enough of your time with that because you can't read a physical book while you're doing dishes, but you can read an audible. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Book. So with that in mind, um, I would like to give a run through for you of a list of 12 books. I made a YouTube video about these books as well, but I'm going to go more into detail on why these books are great uh, in this podcast episode here. Uh, 12 books to start off because I understand that most people will hear 100 books and they'll think that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to start off with one book a month. And that's okay. That's I mean, that's a great uh, a great place to start because it's better to start a habit uh, that's uh, attainable that you'll actually try. Um, and then once you've gotten into the habit of that, then improving that habit. So read, you know, 12 books this year and then next year, double it to 24. Then the next year, double that to 50. And the next year, double that to 100. So that's a much better path than this year saying, oh, yeah, I'll try and read 100. And then you get one week in and realize you didn't finish a book. And so you just quit and give up on the whole goal. Um, so if you're just going to go with 12, that's absolutely fine. I'm going to give you 12 books to read this year. Um, and then if you're going to try and go for the full 100, then you should uh, be able to read these uh, 12, uh, 12 books within the next uh, couple of weeks here. So the first book uh, that I'm going to recommend to you is Atomic Habits, because obviously we want to kick off this year with a bang and we're start by reading itself. We're starting new habits here. So I want to give you the tools necessary in order to make this habit stick for the rest of your life, because it will be rocket fuel for your success. So Atomic Habits, there's no other book like this. There are some books that attempt to be like this. If you want any book that will give you the tools and the systems and the processes that you need in order to radically change your life for the better, you need to read Atomic Habits. First of all, every single line written in this book is a, like a little a little poem. It's just a little, a little piece of art. It is so distilled and condensed and stated perfectly uh, that the, the, every sentence in this book is just beautiful. My favorite quote from this book is you are what you repeat. Um, 
there's a uh, there's a scene in the Batman movie, Batman Begins, the Christopher Nolan one with uh, Christian Bale, where uh, he's just acting like a buffoon. I, I believe this is the scene where he had purchased the hotel and the girls that he brought with him were swimming in the fountain in the hotel at the dinner. And um, he's leaving and, she, you know, Rachel is uh, upset with him. And he says, Rachel, you know, this this isn't me. This isn't who I am. Um, really trying to communicate to her like, hey, you know, there's something else. You know, I'm, I'm Batman. <laughs> And uh, she says uh, a profound response. She says, um, it's not who you are deep down inside that defines you. It's what you do that defines you. Now, obviously, she didn't know he was Batman. um, So for him, he was actually doing things. But it's it's very true. Many people think, oh, I could do that if I really wanted. Uh, I've got the potential for that. I'm actually better than this. But. The only thing that matters is your actions. Your actions are what produce results. It's not who you think you are, what you think you can do. And many times it's just a fear of failure that causes people to never try, in which case they uh, guarantee their own failure. So by the fear of failure, they're guaranteeing that that uh, fear comes true, ironically. Uh, But you are what you repeat because every single day there are actions that you take every single day. And you think, oh, when this happens, I'll change. When this changes, then I'll be somebody else. But in reality, if you want to be somebody else, you have to repeatedly do new actions. I talked in the last episode about the pet pleasure and pain responses. Um, this was a book that helped me uh, lose 50 pounds in six months and keep the weight off. This was uh, two years ago that I started losing the weight. After six months, 50 pounds was gone. Still kept it off to this day. And this book helped me do that because it helps you replace the pain and pleasure signals that you're receiving from your environment with new habits, where if you want to reinforce good behavior, you need to uh, introduce pain for not engaging in that action and then pleasure when you do engage in that action to reinforce new habit cycles. And so Atomic Habits, absolutely fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. And that's why I think it should be the first on your list because it'll give you the tools that you need to put in place in order to succeed with all of your other goals for this year. Number two, this is probably going to be the most controversial book on this list, um, and this is uh, Fossil Future by Alex Epstein. Fossil Future is uh, is a book that helped me put words uh, to uh, the ideas that uh, that I've had for a while that I didn't know uh, how to articulate, number one, and then number two, didn't know uh, how to find whether or not those ideas were true. And so in Fossil Future, Alex Epstein goes on this journey, compiles a bunch of scientific evidence, like real facts. It's not speculation. He goes through the historical uh, records of uh, carbon in our atmosphere. Um, what happens, you know, like uh, at a biological level when the amount of carbon in the atmosphere increases versus decreases, what happens to plant and animal life and human life. Uh, my favorite quote from this book is, we don't want to save the planet from human human beings. We want to improve the planet for human beings. And so he shows how there's kind of this divide. There's one group of people on earth that want to save the planet from human beings. And so in their ideal case scenario, the planet would be left alone with no human beings on it, uh, basically viewing humans as a cancer on earth. And it's like, well, um, you first, if you think there should be less humans on earth, then you go first. 
um, because that's not a very good solution. We can see very quickly uh, where that devolves into basically genocide and you know mass suicide or realistically mass murder uh, in order to accomplish that goal. That's not a goal that anybody should have. And if anybody does have that goal, you need to really look deep down within yourself because it's evil. It's anti-human in nature. Um, what we really want to do is improve the planet for human beings. Um, and so that necessitates taking care of the earth, taking care of the planet. And so it's kind of a, um, what, what's it called? Um, an argument that, uh, 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 purposefully misstates the opposite side. I can't remember the, the name for that. Um, a, 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 a scarecrow argument. Um, I can't remember the name for it, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, many people say, oh, well, you just want to destroy the planet um, for uh, f- uh, for humans benefit. And it's like, no, that would not be in humanity's best interest to destroy our planet and to waste our resources. That's literally the opposite of what we're saying here. We want to improve the planet for the benefit of human beings. And that necessitates taking care of the planet and stewarding our resources well. But it's not in order to leave the earth untouched by humans. The whole entire purpose of it all is to benefit humanity. And so that's the lens to be looking through. Um, and that means that we have to benefit and grow and, and nurture plant and animal life. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a, 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 a necessary, uh, component of improving the planet for human beings. Um, finally, Carbon is uh, carbon dioxide is what uh, animal uh, what plants uh, breathe in it. Carbon makes up the building blocks of all plant life. And so that's why in greenhouses, they increase the carbon dioxide because it increases the size and the health of plant life. So when we increase the amount of carbon in our atmosphere, number one, there's a cap on how hot that can make the world because there's a cap on how much light that or heat that can trap. Number two, we know that if it gets that hot, plant life can still thrive. Animal life can still thrive. Human life can still thrive. It's a couple degrees warmer. That's not going to kill anybody. Just the temperature change by itself. Further, we know that that makes plant life much more healthy, bigger, more robust. When plant life gets easier, that means farming gets easier. That means growing food gets easier. That means animal life eat that eats those plants gets bigger and healthier and more abundant, which means when plant and animal life gets bigger and healthier and more abundant, that means human life gets bigger, healthier, happier, more abundant. Further than that, when we point to uh, this is the last thing I'll say about the book. If you point to uh, climate change uh, uh, causing extreme weather events, this is something that by some measures you can point to and say, OK, we're causing there are, there are more extreme weather events today as a result of higher uh, uh, CO2, which is a result of human activity. Um, and the answer to that is, OK, but measure that versus how susceptible humanity is to extreme weather events. How many people die per year from floods? How many people die per year from hurricanes? How many people die per year from tornadoes? How many people die per year from droughts? How many people die per year from famines? All these extreme weather events used to kill humanity like crazy. It was the biggest concern that humanity has had for almost all of human history. That's why the gods were created who were in charge of the weather to try and appease these gods who are killing humanity with these massive events that people couldn't control. But the reality is today, because of fossil fuels and because of technology enabled only by outputting carbon into the atmosphere, carbon dioxide, we have the ability to become we, we have become robust 
against these extreme weather events. People don't die from floods anymore like they used to. People don't die from these extreme weather events like they used to. So yes, we might have some more extreme weather events, but we are much more robust against them and it doesn't matter to us anymore. We've got air conditioning. We've got heaters. We've got more solid structures. Earthquakes aren't uh, as devastating as they used to be. Hurricanes and tornadoes and famines and droughts aren't as devastating as they used to be because we can transport food. We can transport people. And so Fossil Future, can't recommend it enough. If you believe that everything that I've said is completely wrong, I challenge you to just uh, look at it for yourself and see if you can find flaws in the facts, in the data presented. Um, and uh, if you uh, already agree with everything that I've said, then this will be a book that will give you the tools to articulate uh, those uh, those ideas better. Number three book on this list is the Fiat Standard. The Fiat Standard is the sequel to the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amus. Uh, highly recommend this book, even if you dislike Bitcoin severely, because there's so much good in this book um, that's not about Bitcoin. Um, the main thing that I like from this book is that it uh, kind of details why fiat arose. Um, and so uh, I've detailed this in my first few episodes on um, on this podcast, the three part series on uh, what happened to money. But basically, gold was very good for preserving purchasing power across long periods of time because you can't just print more gold. And so that served as really good money for a long time. But gold is not very good at transporting across large distances for purchases because it's heavy and it can be stolen easily. And so it's uh, expensive, uh, costly to move over large distances. And so if you want to buy something from China, you can't really do that with gold. Um, you, you can if it's custodied by a third party and all you're doing is transferring the ownership of that gold, which is how fiat came about because you needed a way to transport the purchasing power across large periods of, uh, of space. Um, but you can't do that by just moving the gold. It's just too costly and you can, it could get stolen. You have to arm security guards. You have to transport the weight. And so fiat arose as a way for uh, settlement of uh, gold over large uh, uh, periods of large amounts of space. Um, and then he goes on to detail some of the negative, the huge negative effects that have arisen from the abuse of fiat. Uh, everything from today's food system, the, the FDA, uh, the uh, dietary recommendations from the government making us fat and sick, um, uh, going into energy and how the government has subsidized these absolutely terrible forms of energy that number one are toxic number two are killing local ecosystems like solar and wind farms are killing birds and killing turtles and killing all of these animals of these massive farms they're extremely low density in terms of their uh, energy you need massive thousands and thousands and thousands of acres covered in solar panels if you want to power the uh, united states with uh, solar um, you need to cover the entire state of uh, utah in solar panels which obviously you couldn't do number one and number two that would kill everything that was <laughs> over that entire area um, and then number three you still wouldn't have power if there's no sun and then number four those solar planet panels only last 20 30 years and then all of those toxic metals end up in landfills just poisoning our water uh water supplies and things like that and so uh, uh it never and number the last thing is is that it's incredibly costly the only reason why solar has gotten so cheap is because of the slave labor of the uyghurs in china and the subsidies from uh from governments and so without uh, all of this government interference that's enabled by fiat giving governments unlimited spending power you wouldn't have this misallocation of resources and these malinvestments and all this money poured into these 
areas of energy that are just uh, bad for the environment, bad for local economies and uh, ultimately unsustainable and unreliable. Instead, you would have the market determining this, which is just determined by mutual profit and uh, the best product would uh, would win in the end. And so then he also goes into what what Bitcoin does to solve these things. But the main point of the book is detailing all the uh, evils brought about by unrestrained government spending enabled through fiat. Um, the fate, my favorite quote from that book, Bitcoin effectively combines gold's saleability across time with fiat's saleability across space in one apolitical, immutable open source package. All right. Book number four on my list for this year is the law by Frederick Bastiat. Um, this is uh, a response, a refutation of the communist manu- manifesto uh, uh, by Karl Marx. Uh, Frederick Bastiat wrote this book, The Law, two years after the communist manifesto was written uh, in order to refute it. My favorite quote from this book, life, liberty and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life Liberty and property existed beforehand that caused men to make laws in the first place. Uh, This is a recognition of the self-evident rights to protecting your own life and what belongs to you, your own property, and the right to do what you wish so long as you do not infringe on those same rights of others. Those are uh, that is that's why in the Constitution it says uh, that these are self-evident. This is not something that has been given by a government. And so then he points out this is the uh, the 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 uh, purpose of the law at its uh, most at its purest form. The law is there to uh, be the collective enforcement of individual rights. And that is it. And if that were the case, if that's what the law was used for today, then nobody would care who was in power. Nobody would care about voting. Nobody would would care who's making the laws, because if the law was restricted to the collective enforcement of the protection of individual rights, then it wouldn't matter who's in power or who what laws they're making, because the only thing that they can do is protect your individual rights that you are protecting by yourself anyway. Your you the law could not be used to infringe on rights. Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women. And this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The only reason, then, why we do care about voting and we do care about who's in power is because the law is used to infringe on rights. So we have to make sure that we don't have somebody in power who's going to infringe on our rights at the, you know, at the very least have somebody in power who won't infringe on our rights. And for many people, best case scenario, put somebody in power who will infringe on the rights of my enemies. And so for many people on the left, this is why they want to put people in power who will raise taxes because, Hey, might as well take away the property by force, because if, if people don't pay taxes, they go to jail by force and take it away and better yet, give it to me. And so I want to put people in power who will take infringe on the rights of my enemies for my benefit. And so the law is Frederick Bastiat's response to the Communist Manifesto, and it is uh, fantastic. I highly recommend it for anybody who has not read it. Number five is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Um, Naval Ravikant uh, tweeted a thread on Twitter a few years ago. It was an 
absolutely went viral. Very, very insightful, uh, small statements on what it takes to succeed in life, both, you know, financially with health, um, with uh, happiness, what to focus on in today's day and age with technology, um, how to use technology in order to uh, build wealth, what kind of skills to focus on, what kind of things to not focus on. Um, very, very good tweet thread. He went on a few podcasts talking about it. And then author Eric Jorgensen took this, um, uh, 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 basically combined it into a book, transcribed it, um, and, uh, put it into book form, uh, for uh, anybody who wanted to read it as a book. And there's a lot more explanation of each one of those statements in the book. So the almanac of Naval Ravi Kant, absolutely fantastic. One of the few books that I read multiple times. Uh, number six is principles for dealing with the changing world order by Ray Dalio, um, principles for dealing with the changing world order by Ray Dalio. Um, this book is, oh my gosh, I forgot to give you my favorite quote from the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. So I'll go back and give you that quote real quick. You get rewarded by society for giving it what it wants and doesn't know how to get it elsewhere. Um, again, like I said, just, uh, real insightful on how to, uh, build wealth and have success. All right. So number six principles for dealing with the changing world order by Ray Dalio in today's, uh, uh geopolitical mess. Um, this is, you know, one of the most timely books here that I highly recommend people read in order to understand what is going on with our world today. It takes a look at the last hundreds of years, compiles the rise and fall of empires, and then archetypical structures for what happens, what leads up to, and what causes is the rise and fall of great powers in our world and shows how, uh, you know, a lot of these things are happening right now today, particularly um, focusing on the United States and China. Um, the uh, my favorite quote from this book, no system of government, no economic system, no currency and no empire lasts forever. Yet almost everyone is surprised and ruined when they fail. Uh, and so you can see here, uh, he's pointing out the idea that many Americans and many people around the world have today that America is the reigning superpower and always will be yet the lifespan of reigning empires, superpowers, top dogs in the world is very short. And when you look at the markers that cause the rise and the markers that show the fall of powers, great powers, you see a lot more today that show America is on the decline and other powers around the world are on the rise. So basically there's not much you can do about it, but might as well be paying attention to what's going on so that we can navigate it successfully, position ourselves to uh, benefit from it. Number seven, Enough Already by Scott Horton. Um, this is a book about ending the 20 year war on terror. Um, the title sums it up enough already. Uh, Quote from this book, the policy of American dominance in the Middle East amounts to murder-suicide on a mass scale. The treasury is empty. The infantry is exhausted. The Bill of Rights is in tatters, and the American people do not believe in the war anymore. 20 years is enough already. It is time to cancel the failed war on terrorism. It is time to just come home. We have built up, uh, that's that's the end of the quote, we've built up this enormous military industrial complex in this country that um, gets insanely rich on the taxpayer's back by causing these endless wars to continue. And they use that money to put politicians in place 
and uh, lobby for laws that will continue these endless wars to continue happening. So to the benefit of the military industrial complex and to the detriment to the literal hundreds of thousands of innocent lives and children and women who have been slaughtered by American bombs in the Middle East for the last two decades. It is, there's no excuse anymore. It is time to bring the troops home and to end these endless wars. Um, number eight, what I learned losing a million dollars by Jim Paul. Um, most books uh, focus on uh, what things you can do to get success. Um, but uh, the dirty little secret is how much luck is involved. And so many hardworking people, what they do, and maybe most of the time without realizing it, is they do many, many different things until one thing works. And it's like, uh, the common saying that the harder I work, the luckier I get, or, um, that luck is where opportunity meets preparedness. That's all good. You can't ignore the luck factor there though. And for many people that first time success, you look at all the things that they did in their life. It's, uh, there's no evidence because the evidence is just missing. The data is not there of all the other people who did the exact same things, but did not encounter that one piece of luck. And so they didn't have that success. And so their stories were never created and therefore are never told. And so Learning from people who have failed is oftentimes much more reliable uh, because uh, you uh, you you learn an actual pitfall that you can avoid instead of just a dice that you throw that might lead to success. Uh, comment a uh, uh, favorite quote from this book: "Success can be built upon repeated failures when the failures are not taken personally." Likewise, failure can be built upon repeated successes because when the successes are taken personally. Um, and so if you allow yourself, your ego to be inflated and think that your success is because of you, then you're much more likely to stumble and fall. Like uh, On the flip side, if uh, if you continue to try things over and over and over again and you fail over and over and over again, uh, but you don't take it personally, you just say, hey, it's business. This is the cost of finding success someday. Then you're much more likely to find success someday instead of that first failure saying, oh, woe is me and then giving up forever. All right. Number nine, uh, the price of tomorrow by Jeff Booth. I've referenced this book many times, read it many times, interviewed Jeff on my YouTube channel. I'm going to try and get him on this podcast as well, because uh, it is such an important book. Most people have no idea how beneficial deflation is over the long term, how it is essential to be able to have long term growth of wealth and how it is the natural force of nature and will take over. And we have a monetary system and a financial system built on inflation that is doomed to fail because it is contrary to nature. My favorite quote from this book is it took one hundred eighty five trillion dollars of debt to produce about forty six trillion dollars of GDP growth over the last 20 years. Um, showing how this is unsustainable, number one, and you have to have an exponential growth in the pile of debt under a fiat inflationary system in order to cause growth, meaning the number of the worth of the value of the economies to go up. And so it's unsustainable because at some point, a small percentage drop in the debt wipes out the entire GDP. And that's the road that we're headed towards. It's like you have a dam that's building up a river that's flowing, a deflationary river that's flowing. You keep on building up a bigger and bigger dam because more and more deflation is piling up behind it. And it keeps on, you know, eventually getting over the top of the dam. Well, at some point the dam breaks and all that deflation rushes forward and destroys, you know, uh, 
you know, wipes out uh, a lot of stuff that has been built on that system uh, that wouldn't have been there if you would have just allowed the deflation uh, to occur naturally uh, without intervention. Uh, number 10, how innovation works by Matt Ridley, how innovation works by Matt Ridley. Uh, my favorite quote from this book is innovation is the child of freedom and the parent of prosperity, um, detailing just, uh, example after example, after example throughout history of how most major leaps forward in technology, wealth, progress, success, growth, inventions, um, the, uh, revolutions in technology, like the industrial or agricultural revolution. These things were not the result of uh, government intervention. They weren't like a committee getting together and saying, Hey, we're going to invent the steam engine. And then we're going to use that steam engine to build a bunch of, uh, trains and boats and things that will cause the industrial revolution. It's like, that's not how it happened at all. It's years, decades, centuries of tinkering, very small innovations, noticing one thing happening. So trying out a bunch of other things, failure over and over and over and over again, that causes one thing to stick that sparks a wildfire that causes massive growth and massive change. That's how uh, innovation happens under freedom, the freedom to fail, the freedom to experiment. Anytime you have areas that uh, regulation comes in and clamps down and doesn't allow experimentation to happen freely, then you stall out and stop all innovation from happening and the growth there just dies. And you cannot have prosperity or an increase in prosperity without allowing that to continue because otherwise we're playing with the same, uh, same stuff that we have. We're not creating any, any new stuff. Um, and, and so it's not sustainable. You have to have freedom that gives birth to innovation, which gives birth to prosperity. Um, so I highly recommend this book. Very, very uh, insightful. Uh, number 11, When Money Dies by Adam Ferguson. When Money Dies by Adam Ferguson. This book details the uh, fall of the Weimar Republic in Germany, the hyperinflation that took place during that time. Um, I like this book because it points out a lot of things that are happening today. You start to see, oh, I, I, I'm seeing that take place today. I'm seeing little hints of those things be repeated today. Um, one of the things that's scary is that you see very clearly how this birthed Nazi Germany, how you see the hatred for the Jews start to be fermented and those seeds started to be planted during this time that ultimately paved the way for Nazi Germany to happen for the Holocaust to happen. Um, that contempt and that resentment started building during this time. Um, and so, uh, it details how the fall of money just completely destroys a society. Uh, favorite quote from this book in hyperinflation, a kilo of potatoes was worth to some more than the family silver, a side of pork more than the grand piano. A prostitute in the family was better than an infant corpse. Theft was preferable to starvation. Warmth was finer than honor, clothing more essential than democracy, food more needed than freedom. Uh, shows how, number one, it flips in a society uh, the morals. So uh, because all of the incentives are flipped when you destroy the money like this, um, things like freedom and democracy and honor and, uh, 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 you know, children um, and, uh, you know, trying to create better life uh, for people. All that goes out the window, gets flipped on its head and survival becomes the only thing um, 
that people care about. Um, and so it causes all these things that are immoral to be valued or uh, taken, you know, the, those actions get taken place um, are chosen because people just have to survive. Um, and so it just destroys the society that way. And then number two, it, as, as it details through, it shows really like, you know, things, you know, if this were to happen here, it's very easy to see now what I could do to prepare for that. So I wouldn't be vulnerable like all these people who never thought it could happen. Um, and so I highly recommend that book. And then the last book here on the list is Market Wizards. Really, any of the Market Wizards books. Uh, author is Jack Schwager, or it might be pronounced Schwager. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, any of the books he's got, I think four or five of them, Market Wizards, Unknown Market Wizards, Hedge Fund Market Wizards, The New Market Wizards, uh, The Little Book of Market Wizards. Um, all of them are fantastic. The original one is Market Wizards, and it's really interesting to see. You know, this book was written, uh, I think, in the 80s, maybe the 90s. And uh, some of the most successful Successful traders and investors, he goes through and he interviews, uh, just you know, asking them, you know, what what caused your success? What are some of your biggest failures? What are some biggest lessons you've learned? Um, and in all the books, he goes through and he does this. He interviews all these people, and it's really interesting to see some of the people that he identified early on that went on to have like massive success and become some of the biggest players. Um, and again, like I said earlier, how they all have some of the same answers. You start to identify, oh, okay. This is important to every single one of them. It's probably something that should be important to me. Uh, favorite quote from that book. It's not about being right. It's about making money. Many people in investing and trading say, oh, you know, I was right about that. I told you Tesla was going to go up and it went up. Uh, and so they feel good about being right. And you ask them, well, how much money did you make on it? Oh, I didn't invest in it. Well, what were you invested in instead? Oh, I invested in this crypto or this NFT or, uh, you know, Amazon or whatever. And it's like, okay, well then clearly you weren't right because you didn't believe enough in that call to actually put money on the line. And so in investing and trading, that's all that matters. It's just profits. That's in investing and trading. The only thing that matters is making money. That is the absolute only goal. Um, and so it's not about being right. I care less if I was right, but I'm going to invest in a way that I'm going to make money. Um, and so regardless of whether I, what I think should happen or want to happen ends up happening, I'm going to invest in a way to make money. So those are the 12 books to get you started, whether you finish those in the first month or whether you finish those over the course of this year, that is a book list of 12 books that I highly recommend you read during this year of 2023. And, um, I, please, I, uh, would highly encourage you to get into the habit of reading more. If you are not yet a, a high volume reader, it transform your life, uh, especially if you pick out your books judiciously and focus on the books that are uh, guiding you little light, light posts, lighthouses, shining a light on uh, the place that you want to go. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk again. I'll see you again next week. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, 
also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.